welcome to another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast, episode number 156. Myself, Stuart Court, is almost as ever joined by Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? I'm good. You snuck a good one in without me with uh, our, our brethren from Canada. It was uh, a yeah. good listen. I mean, they really did struggle with your accent. Let's oh, yeah. No, massively. He, didn't have, he didn't have a prayer. Uh, you know, he he gave it a good go, but he was completely lost. Yeah, watch, watching him like try and lip read everything I said was quite enjoyable. Yeah, it was really good. Big shout out to um, Montreal Carabas, uh, stumbled upon over last week. Um, I'm sure as well, back in England, you're enjoying the Harry Kane takes over the last 36 hours or so. Yeah, should we move on to... Joining us though, for the first time in a few years, for the second time is a man who has preemptively ruined Ted Lasso for Adam and see me try and hear something for myself on a third rewatch. Another part where we welcome a guest off of the Seahawks beat from Seahawks.com. Welcome back to the Ped Pod, Mr. John Boyle. How are we, sir? I am great, gentlemen. Good to be on with Nate the Great and Adam <laughs> as well. So it's, you know, it's a real honor. <laughs> I, I really do need to check this out. I mean, I can find... I, you know... I, I at first I feared like is this one of those weird things of like Americans just think all Brits sound alike, and then I was like no hey, I think he really does so I'm glad Joe Joe backed that up for me it made me feel better about my comparison. As a, as a counter though, my mum who has become an avid listener to the podcast she's not a Patreon member yet so I have to have a word with her about that. She <laughs> she did say that maybe there's a bit of an Americanism at play here and that she she didn't quite hear. Nate the great inst- that's a fair criticism I, that could very well be be what's going on here yeah, so we talked last time we spoke was uh in the lead up to the london games i was gonna 2018. say 2018 right yeah yeah actually you you're probably not aware of this but we spoke in uh, the barrel boy banker on saturday morning a breakfast morning uh that was a t- i was suffering through a top five all-time hangover that morning oh all right um, congratulations ne- <laughs> 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 a, a name drop here but uh, myself and adam ended up in a nightclub thanks in part to uh, Adam's better half in King's Cross uh, with, amongst other people, Walter Jones uh, after failing to find a karaoke bar, uh, which is, <laughs> I realise, quite a sentence. Uh, so hungover, how hungover I was against me in the pub, but that was quite a week for us. How was it for you from your vantage? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, I didn't really know what to expect. And, you know, you... I see the presence you guys have on social media and I knew there was a, a fan base there, but to see it, how big it really was. And, you know, with the German fans coming over as well, just the support that we saw. And I talked to people over there and you guys, I'm sure could speak to this as well, but mm-hmm. they all said that it was much different than most international games in terms of how into it the fans were and how one-sided it was. It wasn't just a bunch of casual football fans checking out, Hey, what is this? It was a lot of Seahawks fans. How, how did it go down? Do you think with obviously the team? Cause they seem to just, they seem to be startled by it all as well. So a little yeah. Bit. I, I mean, I think they really like it. Pete Carroll really embraced it. And I think he, you know, as much as it's a difficult trip to make from Seattle, I think he would embrace doing it again because he saw the enthusiasm for it. And he always likes just a challenge for his team. And that's, you know, the logistics of that are a challenge that our time difference is a challenge you're facing. So they felt like they handled that part of it well with all the different things they did with the sports science department to try to minimize the effects of the time difference. But then also just, you know, the fans and the Seahawks have a really strong connection here, obviously. And to feel that there, I think was pretty special for all the players and coaches involved. For me, I mean, 
everyone makes the mistake of fe- of thinking that everyone on the planet is on social media. So you feel like when you're on a version of that and you expect all the names from Facebook and Twitter to show up and yeah, that'll be 50, 60 guys, but you just forget that there are just thousands and, you know, social media is a minutia yeah. of, of the actual fan base. And I, I mean, I was overwhelmed, let alone how you guys must've felt by uh, seeing the level of support that was there for that. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously different setting and everything, but it reminded me a little bit, you know, going to New York for the Super Bowl in 20, I guess is the 2014, but the 2013 season, just kind of the Seahawks takeover. And I mean, granted there are more Seahawks fans for a Super Bowl, but to be in a city as big as London and not just around, you know, the Barrowboy and Banker, but other parts of town, I'd had some friends who made the trip and I'm meeting them in different parts of London and you see Seahawks jerseys and shirts all over the place. It was, it was very cool to see just how many fans both live over there and also made the trip to support the Seahawks and make obviously a fun vacation out of it. Yeah, so jump forward a few, few years. How was the last year covering the team? Obviously, we spoke to Joe, uh, Mike Dugas, some of the guys over at 710. And obviously, they haven't been, it's not making the best kind of thing. Was that the same for you guys at .com as well? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not as fun, obviously, to to do it all remotely. You're, you know, you don't build those relationships in the locker room where you get to know guys. I mean, there's there's players who came and went for the 2020 season that I never saw in person or met when, you know, normally I'm in that locker room three days a week during the season and after games, and you get to know those guys a little bit. A player like Greg Olson, I never said hi to in person, which is just a little odd. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it. I think both – teams and media made the best out of a difficult situation and did it as well as they could. But you definitely, you know, I think the fans missed a little bit of the, you know, quality of or variety of quality content they would have got out of a normal season when people can be writing a lot of different stories. But again, just having a season, I think was great. I, I think it was really good for fans. Um, but yeah, I very much looking forward to getting fans back in the building and hopefully getting back to a more normal media environment so we can get back to covering the team a little better. What do you Um, think normal will be in that sense? Because it wouldn't stun me if players were quite delighted to have you guys well out of their way on a daily basis. I'm sure it depends a little bit on the player. I mean, (laughs) Marshawn Lynch would have loved the 2020 season. (laughs) I'm sure. Hey, no media in here every day. Great. But yeah, look, I don't know. I think that's going to come down to the, what both what teams want to do. And then there is a, um, professional football writers media association that advocates for them. So I I don't know if that's going to be a fight, if it's going to be a, let's do some sort of hybrid model of, you know, maybe kind of more of the mixed zone system you guys are used to there, or you're not in the locker room. It could also, I, again, I'm total speculation. I don't know anything. So nobody quote me on this, but you know, there could also be an element of how many players get vaccinated. We're seeing with major league baseball right now, the vaccination rates aren't super high and I don't think the players union is going to allow players to be forced to be vaccinated. So if you have teams that a decent chunk of players are not vaccinated, I would think that you're going to have to have more protocols in place similar to last year. If everybody's getting vaccinated, maybe it's more open. I just don't know, but I've, I'm cautiously optimistic. There will be more availability to the media. I just don't know yet what it will look like, whether that's more in-person press conferences, but no open locker room. Like I said, maybe mix zone stuff. I, I don't know. I, I do hope it opens up some though. Cause again, I think, I think it's better for the fans when it's not just, Hey, these three players are on zoom after the game and that's all you're going to get. Yeah. The whole idea of the open locker room 
is that something that just happens and no one debates why it happens? Because, or is it like a league mandated thing or like, could a team just say piss off? No, there's rules in place. I mean, obviously it started, you know, earlier on in these sports when TV wasn't as big, it was, I mean, that newspaper coverage was really how fans got to follow the team, how they got to know the team. And I think back then, especially the media had the print media had a lot more power over leagues of like, you need us to promote your sport. In essence, I think leagues are pushing back because they realize maybe they don't need that as much as they used to, but I, you know, I come from a newspaper background. I would always stick up for them to get that access because I think it's both good for the sport and good for the game and for the fans to, to, you know, have that kind of coverage and not just, even though I work for a team, I'm, you know, I'm going to get that access probably more so than others, but I would want to fight for the newspaper to get pretty much equal good access. Cause I just, again, I think it's better for everybody, but yes, to your point, there are, you know, there are rules written in of media obligations. I couldn't speak to every league cause I haven't covered them all, but in football, there are, you know, rules. The locker rooms have to be open this many times. Coach has to talk this many days players have to be available in the locker room or if they're, you know, considered star players like a Russell Wilson, they don't have to be available in the locker room, but they have to do that podium press conference once a week. And there's fines involved if teams, obviously we, you know, Marshawn Lynch, the most obvious example, but teams can be fine too. So there are rules in place. I think last year, both sides were willing to look at, Hey, this is a exception and where this is about safety and health and everybody just sort of went with it. But yeah, I, I'll be curious to see again, how this unfolds. So obviously one aspect of that, what, what was it, what was being in CenturyLink, Loomfield like? Because obviously we, me and Adam were lucky enough to be there, been there four or five times, hoping to come over this year as well. But the whole vibe of it must have been completely alien to what you've got used to over the last 10, 15 years. It was really weird. And I, I tell you what, the first thing that really struck me is, you know, game day, we all get there pretty early. And on a normal game day, you get there and the stadium's empty and then it slowly fills up and this kind of buzz builds and you, you kind of, even if you're not watching a clock, you kind of know kickoffs close based off the energy in the stadium. And, you know, you're working and you're writing about the inactives and maybe losing track of time, but that sort of, you have this internal, okay, things are getting going. All of a sudden it'd be right before kickoff and players are around the tunnel and you're like, wait, it's game time. Like it's just, so quiet and no energy and then obviously as the game's unfolding you're hearing players yelling you're hearing coaches so it was a little strange i mean in in a tense close finish which seems to be every seahawks game you kind of forget as the game's playing out because you're more involved in what's happening in the game and paying attention to that but you definitely felt it and in those late game moments if the seahawks are on defense you you miss that excitement and energy and, and noise and yeah, it, I'm sure we'll have some fans back. I hope it's all of them because I I really miss that element of it. It was it was a lot of fun to be a part of. Yeah, so one one of my gigs over here is to do the um, match day stuff for my soccer team, and it was the whole performative nature of pregame is just completely gone because they're obviously coming out from opposite tunnels. The lines when they're coming out from a different tunnel, it was it was very disorganized, but they got on with it quicker. So I guess it wasn't all bad because they just run out and then they start playing instead of coin tosses and the rest of it, Adam. Yeah, I mean, in a, in a sport where I need to smash you in the head as hard as I can, and, you know, every play is ultimately something that goes on your resume, um, did any players speak to how, because I, I was quite surprised and impressed as a fan by, there didn't appear to be any let up in the intensity of almost any play, and even the dead rubber games seemed to have that full NFL intensity, even without the adrenaline provided by 
the fans. Did anyone speak on that as, as something that they they were you know surprised or thought different of at the time? Uh, you know, that was something that both Pete Carroll and the players talked a lot about both leading up to and in the season of that was kind of a big thing. They made a big point of emphasis of, you know, they, I think the term he used was creating their own juice of look, we're not going to have the fans. The Seahawks again, rely on those fans a lot, especially on defense. So they knew, uh, you know, they really had to be in charge of making that energy happen themselves, getting fired up for those moments. And, you know, it, it obviously isn't the same thing, but it's kind of funny to see coaches and players on the sideline who are not on the field trying to do that late in games, just jumping up and down, waving their arms. And then I think a lot of it fell to the guys on the field. And probably the guy credited with that more than anyone was Jamal Adams. That's something his teammates said over and over again about him is he kind of brought that energy to the defense that, any year you didn't have those fans was really needed. So again, that's not the same and hopefully we're back to normal, but that, that was something the Seahawks tried really hard to do on their own last year, knowing they wouldn't have the fans. Yeah. So on, on Jamal, obviously we spoke to Joe fan last time, obviously about the whole Mr. Joe thing, which <laughs> you were on the call with, but with Jamal, how he is with you guys. Obviously we spoke to the ball a few weeks ago, as you know, how much the characters like Jamal, like Doug, fun and interesting and enjoyable to cover as you have over the last few years. Jamal kind of seems like a bit of a ROB throwback with this whole approach to answering questions when it's been a bit repetitive yeah. for certain people. Yeah, and he would have been a great one to have. You know, I talked about the open locker room earlier. I mean, he <laughs> I'm sure would have been a media favorite in there and guys coming to him for a soundbite on just about any topic, and he would have been great at it. Um, yeah, you mentioned Doug. Doug was always one of my favorites in the locker room because – he was someone who would give just great, very thoughtful answers on any topic, football or otherwise, and would be honest with you. I mean, he's not going to sugarcoat things. Um, yeah, I, Jamal, you know, hopefully he's around a long time and he would be a great guy to get to know better in that locker room setting and kind of see how he interacts with teammates. I'm sure he's probably really fun in there, just the way he is on the field. I'm sure he would be pretty entertaining with his teammates as well. But yeah, it's uh, unfortunately we only got to know him through, you know, however many zoom calls he did over the year. Yeah. In working for the, for the dot-com side of things, is there a degree of, you know, you can hear someone ask a slightly, uh, you know, contentious question and think damn i wish wish i could have asked that one uh, <laughs> as opposed to laying a bit more a bit more toe in the party line and have you always um been on sort of the dot-com side of wherever you've worked or, no. or has, has that been a change in your career i changed so i covered the seahawks for one of the smaller newspapers up here for five seasons i think so i went from the newspaper side to the dot-com side and that was a change like to your point there's some questions i probably won't ask now that i would have then um yeah, there's elements of it that are different, and I maybe missed some of them, but I think the pros so far have far outweighed the cons for me with the job. But yeah, I, there's some times I'm like, ah, that might be a fun question to ask, but I'll get out of the way and and let Joe Fan or whoever <laughs> Michael Sean ask it. And um, it is, I mean, there are some differences in the job for sure. I mean, I do ultimately work for the team, and there's some roads I can't go down, but the vast majority of what I'm going to be covering and writing about is pretty similar to to what I would have in my old role. Yeah, so obviously uh, this past weekend, uh, the first part really, the first step back out off the doorstep, back into some sort of normal cycle with the you guys standing on the grass burn um, at VMAT watching the watching the. How was that? Was it, is that what it felt like on watching them? Was it is like the first step back to yeah, what you guys I mean got used to? Yeah, it was nice to just kind of be back to something resembling football. It, it, uh, it was a weird rookie minicamp. You know, normal year they'd 
first of all, have a lot more draft picks and then you'd bring in a bunch of tryout guys and they might have 50 guys out there. And it looks kind of like a real football practice, you know, obviously no pads and no hitting, but they'll go 11 on 11 and simulate some real stuff. Whereas they just didn't have the bodies that the league had some COVID restrictions in place. You could only bring in a handful of tryout guys. And then you, you add in the small draft class. And I think they only had 31 guys out there. So it was a little lower tempo. You didn't really have enough bodies to do everything you would normally, but still good to see, you know, always good to kind of get that first look at some of the new guys, particularly the, the draft picks and just see you guys running around. I was wearing the long socks. Long socks. There was a picture of the grass burn. There was someone with really long socks. Oh, that was uh, Art Teal. Oh, okay. The esteemed okay. Art Teal. Yes. I had, I heard someone say that, that they put you on one side of the training field and then for one day they decided to practice all the way over on the other side and yet so, someone yeah, like they, and you could still see stone forsyth uh you know through peeking up through uh through the other bodies <laughs> such as his yeah, size that's an accurate description yeah so there's three practice fields there unfortunately you know again with the COVID restrictions the the media is all on the berm and what one of those practice fields is on the other side of a whole nother field so you're talking a good 60 70 yards away from <laughs> from where the media was standing and that's where they did practice. They rotate the practices. Fans always complain about this at training camp too, when there are fans there, because most of the fans are on that berm. They rotate the practice just so you don't ruin one of the fields. If you rotate through three fields pretty evenly at the where is a lot better, but it is unfortunate those days fans are there and the practice is on the far field. So we did get one day on the close field though, got a better look at the guys. You must have been tempted just to sneak off and just go home for the day and just say, yeah, I was there. I can can see it. Never, never. Although it was, on a day like that, you're more tempted to, if you know anybody who owns a boat, call them and tell them to show up at the lake there because it was just a gorgeous 75 degree day. I don't know what that translates to Celsius, but warm day and sunny and the boats are cruising by and you want to just go join them and have a beer. Yeah. Is is there anyone who stood out? Obviously, Dwayne D. Eskridge got a bit of play foul immediately fast he, he looks and appears is, is was he like the main headliner for you from the weekend yeah i mean it's so hard to really get too much out of these kind of things because a guy like d'escard <clears throat> should stand out because other than trey brown he's going against a bunch of dudes who are undrafted or mm. you know the, that that caliber of guy but yeah i mean just the speed and suddenness is so obvious that it's exciting to see i mean i think the other the biggest storyline besides him of the week was seeing daryl taylor out there and how you know not again, you're not taking too much out of the play of a defensive end slash linebacker with no pads on, but just how they plan on using them is interesting. And, you know, is, is he going to be in the mix of that strong side role? And could he be the guy there, you know, particularly if KJ Wright isn't back. So how he develops this year could be huge for the team. Cause it's, you know, second round pick, you got no play out of last year. And if he can contribute in a big way, that's a real big bonus in a year. You didn't have much of a draft class. Yeah. I say a lot that, uh, pro soccer players over here will often say, oh my God, you should see what he does in training. Um, <laughs> are there players that kind of in the last six, seven years, you've been at like a rookie mini camp and you've, and you've, and maybe not a name that, you know, not a first, not a Frank Clark when he was drafted or whatever, but someone else you're like, oh my goodness, this guy, this guy's just a bit different and has, and has come through or, or, or vice versa. Someone that you, that John Boyle's like yeah. has pinned his, pinned his flag to the mast on that one. He's like, this is my guy. And he's, you know, and there are, I wish uh, off the top of my head, it's so hard to come up with examples. We joke about this with all the beat writers. Like there's always so many receivers who will look good. That's probably the position most of the time that just somebody, you know, 
Oh, who was the undrafted guy a couple years ago that people thought was better than DK Metcalf? Uh, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Don't mean not Jazz up. Ferguson. Yes, Jazz Ferguson. And there's you know there's the guys that I, there were. I'm, I'm not going to name names, but there are people who thought he was going to be better than DK Metcalf the same rookie year. And there's guys <laughs> that just wow you and never amount to anything. And then there's guys too you're kind of like, eh, well, you know, he doesn't look great. And then he has a great career. So it's, I, again, I can't come up with a great example. I mean, the best example of a guy who maybe wasn't a household name who looked great in camp and then backed it up was Doug Baldwin. I mean, that was a guy who came in and from the get go, you're kind of like, why was this guy undrafted? He looks like he can play. And sure enough, you know, one of the best receivers in franchise history. So yeah, yeah there's kind of all sides of that. There's the the guys who you're wrong on, the guys you notice and, and think they look good and they are, and then there's the guys you just miss. So it's it's a fun part of training, kind of a fun exercise in training camp to to try to project and we're wrong more often than not. I'm still waiting on the Kevin Norwood breakout, if you've got any news on him. Uh, I don't. Didn't he sign somewhere? I can't remember. No way. I, I thought he was with somebody, but I could be wrong. Yeah, that, that one unfortunately didn't work out, but... I, I could I, be wrong. I, I think he was thinking about the XFL last year. No, he's been out of the league for a while. I must be thinking of another former yeah. Um On, on, on Daryl Taylor, what was the... I mean, it's the second-round pick. It's the position where the Seahawks entering the season needed, obviously, bodies with Clowney going to Tennessee. What was the... Was it just a massive frustration, like, coming from Pete and the coaches that you spoke to in that building about Daryl Taylor is just, he just could not get over the hump to like um, be on the field on, in, during the week and obviously Sundays. I mean, I would never classify it as frustration. I, I don't think, you know, if, if, if anyone was frustrated, they did a good job keeping that internal. It was more just, I think, disappointment that they were cautiously optimistic when they drafted him, what they, you know, what they were hearing about him medically, what they had done in their research was that it was an injury. He would get back from that year. And then it just, it, for various reasons, he just couldn't get over the hump and it just took longer and longer. And all of a sudden, you know, you're at the end of the year and he's finally on the practice field in January. Um, yeah. I mean, it's obviously unfortunate for everyone involved. You would have loved to get some, some production out of him as a rookie. Uh, again, I think the one positive now is this kind of this bonus player you're throwing into the mix in year two that you can look at the things your defensive line did last year to improve the pass rush without him. And now if he can be anything close to what they hoped he was when they drafted him, that's kind of a nice thing to add to the equation. But yeah, I don't think anyone was frustrated at him or the situation as much as just disappointed that it did work out for him last year. If you want a great English phrase for that Daryl Taylor situation, uh, whenever a player is injured for four or five months, uh, the manager will always say he's like a new signing. Um, yeah, no, that's, no. that's you, the classic that's... English phrase for it. And uh, oh, yeah. Daryl Taylor being like a new signing would just be, uh, you know, tick every classic soccer cliche box going. Oh, we've heard that over here. And I think you'll what you'll hear maybe this year at some point, I haven't heard it yet, but I bet someone will refer to him as another part of this draft class. So they're going to they'll like to claim him as part of <laughs> that's this. That's a classic. That, and, uh, they do that with the guys they traded for too, you know, Jamal Adams <laughs> in the first round and Gabe Jackson in the fifth, Carlos Dunlap. So yeah, it's, you got to do the the spin to, to make everything look like a positive. Yeah, so last week, Joe was really pumped. Uh, he was quite waxing lyrical about the new OC and Shane Walder. And obviously, again, you couldn't really take much from what you saw over the weekend. But is that, is that a sentiment that you share, like talking to Tyler Luckett and the opportunity, the opportunity you have, that, that this could be a different-looking offense, as different as it's going to be with the top guy calling the shots, really? 
Yeah, I mean, it's we got to obviously wait and see what it looks like. I think that's one of the things the Seahawks will keep quiet as long as they can because it's an advantage you have going into the season of, you know, why give anything away? People are going to assume there's elements of the Rams offense, and I'm sure there will be, but you don't know for sure what a Shane Waldron offense is till they deploy it in the regular season. But, yeah, I think there's a lot of optimism that he's bringing in some new ideas, some things that will specifically help address some of the issues this offense had last year, you know, creating some easier completions, some easier run after catch situations. And hopefully with that, especially the easier completions, getting the ball out, fewer sacks. I mean, you look at the Rams sack numbers over the last few years, they're really low. And some of that's the guys that had blocking, but a lot of that is offensive scheme too. If you just didn't put your quarterback in situations to hold the ball a long time. So, yeah, I think, I think from what we little we've heard so far from from Pete Carroll and from players, and also just knowing what we know about that Rams offense, I think there's reasons to hope that it'll be a pretty good addition to the Seahawks. It yeah. seems like we're likely to see more of his influence than a cynic like myself may have expected when someone who hadn't been an offensive coordinator was brought in to kind of play the cards and be I don't want to say be the puppet, but you know Pete Carroll's fairly famously had a hand in, in the offense, but it does seem like uh, maybe that, you know, as the time goes on, we might be seeing a, a bit of a shift towards the offensive coordinator being given the offensive coordinator's role. A little more autonomy. Yeah. I think, I think that's the fair read on it just from what we've heard Pete Carroll say about it and what we're hearing from, you know, like you mentioned, Ty Lockett had some good comments on it. it I, you know, ultimately Pete Carroll is going to be the head coach. And if he has some strong opinions on things, he'll get his way. But I, I do think, when you saw the way the season ended last year and, you know, the offense faltering and Pete Carroll obviously made that change, knowing some things had to change about the offense. So yeah, I, I do think we'll maybe see more change. If you look at, you know, the change from Bevel to Schottenheimer, I think you might see the offense change more from Schottenheimer to Shane Waldron than it did last time. Yeah. On the defensive side, there's, there is a few question marks really in the secondary. Obviously Trey Brown's been, was drafted really to, maybe address one of those. I said, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago that it kind of just feels like Pete Carroll is going to get that side of the ball sorted and just put Russell Wilson in the hands of Waldron. Is that, is, is that the vibe that you're kind of getting Pete Carroll is eventually, as he did last year when they uh, brought in Carlos Dunlap, is that the same kind of thing that you think is going to happen over the next six, seven weeks or so? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's some questions that need to be answered. You mentioned cornerback as a big one, but I do think this defense, look, the the, def, the schedule got easier for the defense last year. You, I, you can't completely throw that out of the, the quality of offensive quarterbacks, but that group did improve, and the pass rush legitimately got a lot better as the season went on. So I, I think, you know, I've seen some – some people refer to this as like, you know, the Seahawks are going to the year with a bad defense just, and they're looking at the, the total, you know, yardage last year on the points, but that was so skewed to the first half of the season. I don't think we'll see a start like that again. And, you know, we're going to, the pass rush is going to be a lot more intact and ready to go. Jamal Adams obviously is going to have a year under his belt. If they can get two guys out of that big group of cornerbacks who they feel good about. I mean, I think we all like DJ Reed, what he did and, maybe you pencil him into one starting job and figure out of all those other guys, who's the other starter. If they're relatively healthy, I, I think this defense is going to look a lot more like the second half of the year defense in the first half. Yeah. They have obviously lost quite a few leaders on that side of the ball. Um, KJ you know, he, most notably if he does. KJ. Yeah. yeah. I mean, exactly. we don't know. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, it's been uh, anyway, a while. So yeah, it sounded yeah, like, 
it sounded like Jaron Reed had quite an important part in calling plays on the defense. You know, Shaq Griffin is a pro bowl cornerback. So that's obviously going to have an impact. Presumably, you know, you, you see how teams transition defenses from what, you know, one generation to another. And we're sort of in the fourth or fifth iteration of this, uh, of this Pete Carroll defense in Seattle. And I get, they seem very hopeful that it, that it's going to, you know, build off the steps from last year and keep going, despite the fact that on paper, I'm not convinced actually it, it is better than than we did have, you know, the, the, the starting 11 last year. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's fair. I, I would say, I think the pass rush is better, especially when you look at the start, how it started last year and didn't have Dunlap. Mm-hmm. I mean, from where they were last year at the beginning of the year, you have Dunlap, you have Kerry Hyder. Again, hopefully you get something good out of Daryl Taylor. If they don't bring back KJ, that's obviously almost impossible to replace what he brings you, but you know, they really are high on Jordan Brooks. And if he, he becomes that every down linebacker, we'll see how much they do at nickel. I, I'd say if, you know, cornerback to me is the biggest question. If you, if you can get, whether it's Witherspoon, whether it's Trey Brown, whether it's somebody else to step in and play at a high level, you know, maybe not be an all pro, but be a really solid starter opposite DJ Reed. Then I think this defense can and will be better. Jaron Reed, you, you you didn't replace that production. You, I think you improved on the edges. I think you'll also see some guys, whether it's Hyder or LJ Collier, move inside a lot more to kind of eat up some of those interior snaps. But you know, to me, as long as they're relatively healthy on the back end, they're better at safety. Just with Jamal Adams having another year, they're better if Marquise Blair. You guys didn't get a chance to see him in training camp, mm-hmm. obviously, but. He was really, I remember John Shire made this comment in the off season and I felt good about it because it's kind of how I saw things of like the guys that kept, just kept standing out in training camp over and over again were Blair and Jamal Adams. And it was really unfortunate he went down when he did. So I think if you're getting him on the field a bunch, that's going to make that back end better as well, just to add a physical element to it. So it's not a given. They just come in and play great for sure. You mentioned they've got holes to fill, but I, I am cautiously optimistic that it's going to, again, look a lot more like second half of the season Seahawks defense where they're getting after the quarterback a lot more and making things happen. Yeah. What, 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 what do you think it is with the Seahawks? Obviously there's, there's a few examples now, obviously done that's the latest one where they're pro and DJ Reed as well, where the pro scouting is just so far ahead of a curve rate because obviously DJ Reed was Schneider's guy. Dunlap was basically given away by Cincinnati in whatever they're doing in, in Ohio. <laughs> but but, but the, it, it kind of seems like it, the hit rate is obviously, it just seems better and more consistently hitting compared to what the drafts have really brought out over the last three, four, five years, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, in a way that's pro scouting is just easier because you've seen that guy play in the NFL. So yeah. you have a little better idea of it. So I, I, I don't know the numbers, but I would imagine the hit rate for a lot of teams is higher in that regard. But yeah, I mean, DJ Reed was just a great pickup that the 49ers thought could they sneak him onto IR and Seahawks grabbed him and got him back by midseason. So that, that was a great find. I think Dunlap, I mean, teams knew he was a good player. It was just whether mm-hmm. teams thought he still had much left in the tank and was going to be a good fit there. And it was an obvious need when they went out and got him. I mean, the pass rush was at that point going on a year and a half of struggling. So he's, he's really helped, but yeah, I, I mean, I, the, the draft is what it is. It's, it's really hard to draft well. And I think this is a whole nother conversation, but I think there's <laughs> unrealistic expectations around the league of what a team should hit in a draft. Um, and especially when you hit like it, the Seahawks did for a three year stretch 
early on, but yeah, it's, you know, they're pro scouting those to your initial point. They've been really sharp of late. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get onto it in a bit, but Urban Meyer is going to live off Trevor Lawrence being number one overall for a good while, I think, because that's, he's already doing it in my opinion with some of the decisions he's making down in Florida, Adam. Yeah, I mean, look, we've done terrifically well to get 25 minutes of Seahawk chat on May 18th when, let's be honest, absolutely nothing of any interest is really happening as one of the few dead spots in, in the in the football calendar. So, you know, any schmo like Stuart and I know that Doug Baldwin and Michael Bennett are a great locker room interview, but I'm fascinated to know kind of maybe a guy that we wouldn't have thought of as someone that you really enjoyed speaking to. I think I heard someone say that a few years ago of all people, Eddie Lacey was just a really great guy to talk to. who was super shy. No one was talking to him because he wasn't really producing. And then they spoke to him and he was a great guy. And I think where we love uh, to get a bit of behind the scenes access and a couple of stories of someone that maybe our, our listener slash listeners, if we're, if we're lucky, uh, wouldn't have heard of uh, as someone that's great to talk to. Um, you know, thinking of some pat obviously the, the recent team, I haven't been in the locker room with some of those guys, but um, DJ Fluker was a great one. That mm-hmm. I, the, I I don't know that I've seen many people with more enthusiasm about football than that guy. He just always was – you could just tell he loved every day of being out there and just being a part of it. So he was a really fun one. Sometimes it can just be guys you have something in common. Like I, I would – probably spend more time talking to Sean shed over the years. Cause we happen to have kids the same age. We both had our first kid about a week apart in 2015. <laughs> so over the couple of years after that, we would just be trading notes on our kids and all that. So sometimes it can just be as simple as that, but yeah, it's um, I mean, he's more of an obvious one, but KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner, they've had their lockers right by each other for a decade. And they're both, guys that are incredibly approachable and down to earth for especially Bobby Wagner for being, you know, a true superstar in the league and a hall of famer, but both those guys are super accessible, just super down to earth, good guys. It's funny though, with Bobby Wagner, I've joked about this with the beat guys is he'll be that way. And you feel like he's, Oh, he's just kind of a normal guy like us. And then he'll <laughs> drop into a interview how, Oh, well, I met Jamal Adams when I was in Monaco at an event that Michael Jordan flew us out to. Like, okay, you're not like us. You get flown to Monaco by Michael Jordan. So. Obviously, along those lines, uh, DK Metcalf a few weeks ago ran the 10, 3, 6, 100 meters. And like, Pete Carroll was effusive about that and about the the benefits of that for him and his like, workouts and stuff. But that is, it's, he's, he's a, he, again, like Jamal, is a different vibe when he talks to you guys. DK is just different, isn't he? Yeah. He's, it's always struck me. I mean, this is not breaking news. You'll hear this, anyone describe this way, but just how humble he seems for a guy who grew up in an NFL family has been basically a star his whole life. He was, you know, highly recruited. He decided to stay home and play Mississippi. But if ever there were a guy who could have an ego and feel like, yeah, I'm the man, both because of just how he grew up being around the game and, let's face it he's really good and he's just a physical freak show but he doesn't come across that way even a tiny bit he's just he's confident he believes in himself and he's got that kind of confident swagger but he's just a real chill down-to-earth dude and i was kind of surprised because it like most people i kind of got to to know dk metcalf not know him but know of him because of the the viral shirtless photos Mm. pre in the pre-combine build-up and you just kind of assume a guy that's posing for pictures who looks like that might have some ego to him. And then 
you start talking to him and it was not the case at all. So yeah, he's, he's been a fun one. Dennis. I mean, I feel like he's just scratching the surface as a player too. Yeah. Also ripping his shirt off as he walked into the meeting with Pete Carroll. That was, I'm, I'm bummed. I missed it. So one of the, you it know, we talked seem, earlier. That just seems so out of character. Well, so the, bad the, the scout who's with him talked him into that. And from what I've heard, he was a little reluctant to do it because. Okay. It's, you know, so it's funny going back to your, you know, your conversation about questions. I can't ask being the com. One of the perks about being the com is I'm afforded some access that other media would not be because they trust me not to say certain things. And <laughs> I've gotten over the years of the couple of combines I've probably like last three or four combines I've gotten to sit in on some of those interviews and I was in there that day, but I was not in there for the DK Metcalf shirt off moment. So I think I had just missed that one and I'm <clears> kind of bummed. I, I miss being, being in the room for that moment. But yeah, my understanding again is that that was by no means his idea that the scout talked him into it. Cause he said that they had been laughing about the photo and Pete Carroll was really impressed by it. So the, the scout talked him into doing it to surprise Pete. And then Pete just came right back obviously and took his off too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also on DK, I think that's the root of Adam's hottest take for the Seahawks as well. Isn't it DK Metcalf and what may Which be one? coming up in the next year? Well, I mean, I'm very happy to talk about it as, as a thought process in the sense that if wide receivers, the market is going to be upwards of $25 million a year, unless the cap has a dramatic uplift, I'm not sure any receiver, let alone a Pete Carroll-driven offense, can necessarily play to that. And if you're looking for draft picks, maybe that's one of the few stars that you could get rid of, knowing how many great wide receivers are coming into the game year on year. You know, obviously, it's a... It's a it's a very serious you know, thing to say, but you know, I'm saying it quite whimsically, but if you're looking to get picks back from somewhere, maybe that's one way that you choose to do it. I'll say, I understand the process you're going with. I, I don't see how, and if he continues on the path he's on, I just, he strikes me as one of those guys. You just don't let go. Yeah, I don't I mean, say let's I, wait I'm and being, see what what a what a Shane Waldron offense looks like for a year before yeah. we decide I mean, the value I, of a receiver. I guess everyone plays imaginary GM at this time of year, you know. Oh yeah, what especially go, when we were going into a draft with three picks. You're like, well, can I? Where can I get a couple back? Where can I get a couple back? And um, I don't know. I kind of look at the wide receivers that get all of the money in the world, and it doesn't actually appear that that those teams are actually the ones that end up with the rings at the end of it. But um, yeah, I mean, shoes three months. Yeah, I mean, it'll be a tough. It'll be it'll be tough to figure out. You're right. I mean, cap wise, if receivers are commanding that, we'll see where the cap goes. But I, yeah, I have a hard time seeing him going anywhere. But at this point, I've been covering this league long enough that nothing <laughs> truly shocks me. Well, to uh, to take our listeners behind the curtain, Stu's thrown me under the bus and then pissed off. To see my, him anymore. My, my, my camera's just crashed. Um, oh, okay, we'll get over that. Don't worry. Yeah. Also, it, what, it, it helps the Nate the Great mystique if I can't see him. <laughs> so, I'm so I'm picturing Nate the Great I instead of Stu. Do not know what's happened there. Um, yeah, so obviously, we, another thing like DK, you could kind of see that how humble he is in the post-race interview as well because he just put in all, like, all the praise on the other nine, eight, nine people he raced with that, like, thanking them for letting him race them kind of thing. It's kind of, it was really cool to watch. Yeah. The the bit about, you know, <clears throat> figuring out what track speed really is. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, again, he's in a way, I mean, obviously that's not football, but that a lot of that kind of really encapsulates who he is that he had the confidence to go do it. I, you know, a lot of football players think they're track fast and 
might talk a good game, but you don't see many actually say, Hey, let's, let's go give this a whirl. And he did it knowing that he might get humbled a little. And he certainly held his own and was not embarrassed, but he also did get beat by what 15 of the 17 people in the field. So he, he, you know, he was humble about it, but he also had the confidence to go out and do it. Yeah. Uh, So one last thing before we go back to our usual weekly things, Um, what's next for, Everyone, I guess, because obviously they're holding out a voluntary camp this week with with the COVID protocol concerns. I think is the main issue. So, what what is next for like the Tyler Lockets and DK Metcalfs of the roster? Yeah, I mean, it'll be curious to see what happens. We've seen, you know, some teams around the league, more guys are reporting to camp. The Seahawks were one of the teams that did put out that statement through the NFLPA that they would not be participating in voluntary stuff. The the next phase of voluntary workouts does start this week, and it sounds like, you know, most people who are at rookie minicamp will stick around and do that. Veterans are allowed to, and I'm sure would be welcome with open arms if they want to show up. I've, I've not heard yet if any have or not. Um, but if assuming they don't, they stick to that plan, then what's next for them would be working out on their own. There's going to be like in the COVID year last year where everything was virtual, there will be virtual meetings, all that, that they will take part in. Um, and then it'll be, you know, getting them back in July for a mandatory mini or I'm sorry, in mid June for a mandatory mini camp. So we'll see what happens. I know there's been different reports of teams shuffling their off season schedule to try to make it more appealing to players to maybe show up for some. So, Pete Carroll kind of implied in his press conference that they're talking about different options. So maybe we see the schedule shift a little and guys do come in for a little bit OTAs. Maybe they don't, and they stay away and just come in for a mini camp. It'll be, you know, wait and see. I don't know what it looks like yet, but yeah, rookies will be around working out in person and it'll be online meetings for, for the veterans until mm-hmm. something else occurs. Yeah. Well, you, you, you'll have to try and get uh, uh, our official uh, undrafted free agent, uh, uh, fan club reason for a fan club, Pierre Olivier Lestage. Obviously, we spoke to his airline coach from Montreal last week, and yeah, I spent as I said a few weeks ago, it was two, two o'clock on the end of the NFL draft in the morning over here. I was watching the 95% in French Zoom interview yeah, thing with I was him, about so. to say, I'll have to brush up on my French. I, I, yeah. I still speak a tiny bit of German from high school. I can, you know, talk to Donker a little bit, but uh, yeah, I don't know about my French though. No, Stuart and I have obviously been super fortunate <clears throat> to have some great guys come through uh, the pod recently. And I've asked them, yeah, so the players, did they yeah, get sorry a you had to break that streak? Well, no, I think we're you know we're, we're still batting one thousand at the moment, yeah. as far as I can tell, for this summer. Oh no, I mentioned. Um, oh yeah, that's true. And, and Mike Dugar, we had so you know apart from that, but not only if we, we're back to a level now. Um, I, I've always asked them, did they get to enjoy winning enough and being at the peak of the mountain? You know, looking down, did they get to enjoy the championship enough? And I, I'm interested to know, kind of as an organization, does an organization ever get a chance to enjoy? winning enough because that's what we're doing it for but i kind of feel like you know with the bill belichick thing no days off and you know i'm sure that's a bit of a a nice uh, sound bite but it, internally did the, did the team get to enjoy winning quite enough that's a great question i i wasn't with the team the super bowl year so i can't speak to that i mm-hmm. i do just think to your point though there's just i mean unless unless you're a coach or a player or an employee at any level that knows it's your last year that you're hanging them up after that. I just don't think you're ever going to enjoy the ride as much as you should, because you're thinking about what's next. I mean, 
you don't succeed in the NFL by just focusing, going all in one year and not think about the future. You're going to probably have some issues with team building down the road. So, you know, I, I would be, I, I don't know what players have said to that question. I'd be willing to bet a lot of players in 2013 just kind of assumed that was going to be the norm for them for a while and maybe didn't quite appreciate how hard that is because they just kind of rolled to that Super Bowl as a young team and they got back once, but never got back again. So yeah, I, I don't know as an organization again, cause I wasn't part of it. I think, you know, we all appreciate the success the team has had. That's very rare in the NFL in terms of sustaining the success, but yeah, I, I do think there's an element of it's hard to fully appreciate while you're a part of it. It's more something you can really appreciate afterwards. KJ for memory, I think said he didn't even really realize that he wasn't enjoy being a player until he got his injury a couple of years ago. And then when he came back, he started to cherish huh. the moments much more, which I thought was a really interesting, interesting. Yeah. Uh, thing to say. And I think, I, I think both him and Doug Baldwin said that they didn't really get a chance to embrace being at the top of the mountain because there was always this thought of, well, you know, let's go and do it again, or let's mm-hmm. get this guy. Uh, it's fascinating though, because it, you know, the, you'd think that in a sport where the, the, the season is five months time, there'd be some, some off time, but it, the calendar really does never stop. Does it? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a little break here and there for guys, but yeah, it's, there's always something that's just ongoing pretty much year round these days. So yeah, I'd be curious to, I think maybe, maybe for a player, the time you'd appreciate most is if you had a veteran guy, you know, let's say a Bobby Wagner who won it a long time ago mm-hmm. and then maybe gains this appreciation for, okay, this is actually really freaking hard to, to get to that level. Maybe that's when you appreciate it more is if you've been fighting to get back and you finally do and come out on top. So let's hope they can experience that and we can ask them next off season. Right. <laughs> that would be great. That yeah. would be great. Uh, so we appreciate you jumping on, John. Uh, we're going to jump back in the bin. Adam, I'll start. I've already mentioned him. I'm not going to have a Tebow take because I think as someone put on Twitter, no one <laughs> has a good Tebow take. But Urban Meyer is... He's just, apart from Trevor Lawrence, uh, which is obviously the slam dunks of all slam dunks, I don't really like Urban Meyer anyway because of things that happened in the back end of Ohio State and he just seemed to let everything go at Florida as well. But the Etienne thing, the Tebow thing, his, the, was it the strength and conditioning guy a few weeks ago? He's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's, he's going to live off Trevor Lawrence for probably quite a few years and it's just I just don't uh, it's going to be the, to the detriment of that entire team I think because I, I think the Khans Tony Khan or Shah Khan whoever makes the decisions down there has has made a bit of a boo-boo with this one I don't John I'll let you take that if you're even allowed to talk about I, that I don't know I mean we play the Jaguars this year I don't know if I'm going to go down that road I mean, they'll put it on their bulletin board they'll be on the bulletin board about, John yeah. They're going to put on the Belgian board. Seahawks employee on this podcast. <laughs> no, I mean, look, your point about the quarterback, if you draft a quarterback in the top few picks, everyone's living. I mean, the 49ers are living off Trey Lance, not this year, but down the road, if if that pick works out, it's worth every pit thing you gave up for it. If it doesn't work out, man, that's hard to come back from when you gave up all those first round mm. picks. So if you're taking a quarterback early, everybody's kind of hanging their future on that. Um yeah, I'm not. I mean, I won't get into all this stuff on Urban Meyer and his past, but we'll see how it goes. I guess it's Pete, Pete Carroll has been the outlier in terms of college guys coming in and really thriving in the current recent NFL. So it's you know it's it's a tough adjustment to make. We'll see how he does. Yeah, Adam, I've got a couple. One of them, uh, John and Stuart, you'll both know is uh, 
Kevin Shockey from uh, 950 KJ. <laughs> Kevin I don't, Shockey. I don't okay. really, I don't re- I love Kevin. I've been out for dinner with him. I went him and his wife, my wife, we went out for dinner in London a few years ago. And I think it's fair to say that Kevin betrayed me on social media a couple of weeks <laughs> ago. The shot he took at Tottenham. I'm not even going to bring it up because I'm, I don't want to talk about it because it, it upset me. It upset me. And Kevin, if you're listening to this, you're in the bin. But as I did say, all scores are now settled. If you put yourself back in the bin, that's your problem, not mine. You'll have done, a, done something wrong again. But, you know, for now, we're even, but don't do it again. And my second one, John, um, he's going to be very blindsided about this. I've been saving this up for about a month now. Um, Stuart and I both listen to another podcast. It's a, it's a cricketing podcast, um, so the sport of cricket, and we both – Stuart actually got me into it. And at the end of every episode, they do shout-outs for, like, birthdays and anniversaries and new jobs and whatever – and last month it was Stuart's birthday. So um, I actually wrote into the podcast and said, oh, can Stuart have a shout out? And so the podcast got released on a Wednesday and I said to Stuart, have you listened, listened to the podcast? Yeah, 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 just about half an hour through. So fine. But an hour later I went back, have you, have you listened to the podcast? Yeah, 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 listen to it. Not crickets, nothing. He didn't say a word. They gave Stuart a birthday shout out and he didn't realize. He missed the, it? No, no, he heard it but he didn't realize that he was the Stuart being shouted out for his birthday. And, uh, you know, I, for that, I, you know, not even a thank you. And, and for that, I have to put my co-host Stuart caught in the bin. I just thought it was disgraceful behavior. One, I definitely did thank you. Two, it's, it was part of like 15 names who the birthday was. It was only a first name thing because obviously they wrapped through it. So, yeah, that's my defense. I would have been listening out for it, John. That, that's all I'll say. I, yeah, if I, yeah, if I somebody know, asks, yeah, hey, did you listen and I'm sorry if I'm stepping on toast here, but have we, are we going to get to the grammar yet? I mean, Oh my goodness. I forgot about the grammar. That's the third one. Right. So I think we discussed this with Joe fan. Um, Who started something. I just jumped into a conversation. It was one of the guys, wasn't it? <laughs> I think it was Paul Gallant. I think it yeah. was. Yeah. And uh, I have a real issue, a real issue with, the lack of pluralization of the city name in team names when you'll say the Seahawks are, but Seattle is. And I am just about okay for you guys minding your own business over there and talking about your own teams. But when they'll say Tottenham is, as opposed to Tottenham are, that's enough to send me right. I mean, I'm, I'm not a difficult man to. I will to grant anger. you that. If I'm, I'm fine if I'm talking about Tottenham or Liverpool or whatever, with going plural there, but to me, it's, you know, it's how we do it here. It's, you know, like I said in the tweet, Seattle is a singular city. Uh, if I were going to say Seattle is your favorite American city to visit, then I don't know why yes. you say Seattle are your favorite American football team. Because it's a team. Yes, a team is a singular. It, it's a, it's team a is made up of, of players, but team, I don't know. Team is a singular noun. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. It was Stuart, yeah. you, I, I might need your help on this one. Agree to disagree. He's going to no. throw him under the bus again. No, no, I, no. I, th- I think I agree with you, Adam. I don't really realised it until last week, but yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things. What the O U R is in color, but we, a, a deep we do that with bands differently too. I think. Yeah. 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 There's there's, there's, lo- there's loads of stuff, and it, it just yeah. the, the lack of pluralizing. I think is. Uh, it's disrespectful, John, if you ask me. Right, well, I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Thank you very much. I get apology accepted. <laughs> yeah, it, apart from being invited on to uh, UK Seahawks podcast, is there anything you want to put in the bin, John? 
Oh boy, I don't know. I was not prepared. So is this kind of like just an airing of the grievances kind of? Just someone that's yeah. pissed you off. It can be yeah. anything. It can be as little as something on a cricket podcast that they don't hear the shouts out for. Man, why? I'm not good on my toes. I'm sure I have a million things. I, I, I hold silly, bitter grudges all the time, but I, I must just be in a happy place right now. Can't come up with any. I mean, we touched on it early on, but I'm, I'm happy to put stupid baseball unwritten rules in the bin. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you hit a home run. You have fun with that. Flip your bat, pip it all you want. Yeah. There was one, uh, I think, in a high school game a couple of weeks ago where a kid, yeah, yeah, like a commentator or an ex player was having a go at this kid for being excited about hitting a home run to where his team came from. Like a 20, yeah, huge comeback. Yeah. They really need to get over themselves. Yeah. Also, I feel like if they didn't wear a suit, they'd run faster. Possibly. The baseball uniforms are kind of weird, huh? They're completely bizarre. And the and the managers wear them. That's great too. That's the weird. What thing. other sport do you have the manager in full and uniform? The best thing about baseball uniforms is the lack of like gaudy sponsorships over all of them. It's just a team, and yeah, that's you, it. Although we that is do, one thing. We do have a couple of examples here. There's a manager called Tony Pulis, John, who uh, is he used to turn up to every match wearing a, a suit, shirt, and tie. Then he'd change into his training kit to manage the team and then get in the showers with the players at the end of the game. And he actually headbutted one of the players in the showers after the game and then got back into his suit as if that's just a totally normal thing to do. Who was he managing? He was managing Stoke, Stoke City at the time. Wow, that's a good and, did he uh, Did he like lace up the boots too? Uh, there have been a lot of assistant managers that wear boots for absolutely no reason. Yeah, um, yeah it's pro- proper football man. It, there's uh, some that, coaches that in the thing. NFL that does that. It's mm. uh, it's kind of fun to see. Yeah, yeah. I feel like one of the Ryan brothers would, if they were allowed to, put the whole the whole uniform on if they were allowed and the pads. I don't know if he still has them, but Ken Norton had an old pair of cleats he'd wear when they practiced on grass that were, I think he might've played in them. They were so old, but they were just, they were in bad shape. And he, he would only wear them for grass. He wouldn't wear them for the turf fields, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess, cool. you know, if you're running around out there, it might be practical. Yeah, that could work. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, as I said, massively appreciate you jumping on John. Obviously also massively, massively appreciate you reaching out over the last few episodes of Doug Ball. We won. It is massively, appreciated that someone takes the time to listen, especially someone who has much more important things to do than listen that to That is definitely too. not true. <laughs> John, how, how, how do we get Stuart a job on the, on the Seahawks team? I think, I think it's been well, he's going to have to time. move here first. I don't think yeah. he can... I mean, I'll do that tomorrow. Yeah, that won't be a problem. We, we can find him accommodation. We can get him the flight, but we need to get Stu working in, in the NFL, I feel. And I, I feel like it should. it's now your responsibility, John, to make it happen, and you'll be in the don't bin if it doesn't happen. Have a hiring, uh, I, I don't have a hiring... I'm not a, in a hiring position at my job, but when what I am, I'll let you know. French-Canadian player liaison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very specific title. And it, <laughs> it's like, it's what, one every seven years. So. Yeah. Uh, he's, well, if he makes the team, it sticks around, you know. Just yeah, his guy. Oh, John, I have one more question. What, yeah. How on earth do we get our hands on the training uniforms that, that the players wear? Because they are nicer than any of the game jerseys. Really, you like those? Oh, the Simple. blue, the blue with the Simple white number. White. That really? is the most. I've been dreaming of an '89 Baldwin training jersey for as long as I can remember. Really, I don't know if they ever sell those like in auctions. If like they get players to sign them or anything. I'll, if I find out, I'll let you know, Adam. I'll they are. You. They're clean. Hey, 
Have you just ever hit up Doug? Maybe he has one laying around. I, we probably should have done that when I had the chance to talk to him for an hour and well, a half, as opposed to asking thing. you. But, you know, yes. uh, I probably missed the boat on that one, I suppose. <laughs> uh, so, obviously, apart from Seahawks.com, where can people catch your social media abusing? Uh, yeah, I mean, Seahawks.com is for anything I've written. Uh, Twitter is at John P. Boyle for, you know, I'll usually tweet out links to what I'm doing and or not funny dad jokes occasionally. <laughs> Bad puns, big fan of those. Cool. Uh, yeah. So uh, next time the Seahawks are over, we'll have to we'll have to try and hope it's not in not in an international break and no kidding. That's maybe, so go to, uh, <laughs> maybe go to maybe go to Hazen Yedin and uh, Crystal Palace as well because that's the Ted Lasso spots to hit. Apparently, yeah. Hopefully, we're back there soon. That was a lot of fun. I'd love. We that. really thought we were getting a game this yeah, year. We were all we the did. leaks. We thought we were getting one. There were rumors. I was hopeful, but. Yeah, hopefully soon. It'd be be great to get back. Yeah, yeah. cool. Um, massive appreciate it. all the people listening and all the people on Patreon. I appreciate your patronage and your financial support to me and Adam being uh, uh, doing this for pretty much every week since the season ended, which has been yeah, remarkable, been really. Uh, so I'll continue until next time. This has been the Pedestrian Podcast. Go Hawks.